0: But yeah, just in terms of why I love this song so much, I feel like it's this cosmic and commanding force more than a piece of music. Like, And Kate herself has described it as a visual song, and in Under the Ivy, Graham Thompson kind of talks about it that way, too. He says that the song pans away from the water and up to the sky, flying again somewhere Bush gazes down on the scene. And contemplate our planet, underscoring our insignificance in the face of the universe. And through it all, the terrible power of nature, storms gathering, the wind whipping, the sea, a murderer, of calm. So, yeah, I just really love that cosmic element. I feel like in the album introduction episode, we talked about the force of nature on this album and how it is so integral to the work. And this is really where it hits its height because, I mean, it's called Hello World, So it's really serving the planet. And saying, ho- and greeting it, and observing it from afar, because at this point the narrator is hovering between life. The narrator is I played is hovering between life and death.
1: Mm. So at this
0: point, it's like that thing of kind of like being outside your own body and seeing everything pass by, and this omnipotence. So that's what's so cool about this song. There is this omnipotent feeling to it of just being in awe of the universe and all of that. Like the, I get out of my car and look up at the sky, you know, and just seeing how beautiful it
2: is for me i think it stands out from the rest of the the ninth wave as being um perhaps the most cinematic of all there there's so much cinematography stuff going on um some visual so much imagery that goes on throughout the whole ninth wave but for this one it's so easy to see the story and and i love the shifts in it which where and i'll talk a little bit the about the chord progressions, but the way she changes keys oddly and has a male choir come in all of a sudden. I just love the, um, the different, all these different things about the song. It's so unique in the Kate Bush catalog um, in the way that she's painting this picture.
3: Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link and this week we're going to be talking about the second to last track on the album Hounds of Love, Hello Earth. about the song this week is somebody who's been on the show a lot before she is yes hi i'm
0: zoe um i've been on the show before i was last on the hounds of love album intro episode and i'm really excited to talk about hello earth my that and Busting are my favorite songs on this album and both are also my top five favorite Bush songs so it's a pleasure to get to explore it indeed
2: Hello, Cecily! (laughs) Hello, Cecily! This is Paul Tate from Atlanta,
3: Georgia. Indeed, and we've had you on for a couple of the other episodes from this season, of course.
2: Yes, I'm a big Hound
3: of Love fan. So, Hello Earth, what is your, um, kind of what's your, well, first of all, what's kind of your history with this song? Like, why is this one of your standout favorite Kate Bush songs? I wish I knew. That's the thing. For a lot of the
0: music in general, I even my like most favorite ones, I don't have a, a clear memory of knowing that. Oh, I love this is the one I loved it. I just know that. For example, basically how I first listened to all her music was chronologically, sitting in the bed in the apartment I was living at the time just sitting in bed listening to each album and I remember like loving the dreaming all that but I don't even remember six songs hitting me a certain way it's all this weird blur so with Hello Earth I don't really know how this became one of my favorite songs or what it really hit me but I know it was not immediate I know that when I first listened to it I did really like the um chanting chorus mm-hmm. um, that really struck me but Besides, but I also didn't, and for a long time, this wasn't one of my favorite Cooper's songs also because of that, because I really felt like the outro of the chorus was much too long because it's a few minutes, and I just felt like, okay, it's like, we get it, I like fast forward, we don't need all of this. But I guess I just, I don't know when it hit me, but I just, what I really loved about the song is the grandeur. It's so epic and sweeping, and also cathartic both in the way she sings it and the music in every way. I feel like in terms of this, it plays in the album, it's the climax of the album, especially when you're building up from Jig of Life. It's like all this tension, 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 and then why did I go, oh, release. And mm-hmm. then the chanting, you actually kind of need that in a way to breathe, um, to to the song. but. And then you have this catharsis and the morning fog following it is kind of, is the come down because you have like every, it's like this wave, seeing a wave, it's like this wave that's cresting, right? And hell of earth is kind of the top of that. Jig of life and then building up the hell of earth, you get the top of this wave and it crashes down. So I really love that about it. I just, it's so dramatic. It's so, I love anything melodramatic as mm-hmm. anyone who's listened to any of the episodes that Unknown, have So <laughs> So, because yeah, all the, what kind of ties what I love in her music in terms of the songs I tend to like most, except for Endless Sky of Honey, which is one of my favorite pieces of music, which I love because it's so chill and so relaxing um, and really calms me. But I really love the dramatic times in the music, something like Hammer Horror, something like like this, you know, where it feels to me it's as though it's almost a number straight out of the musical theater piece in terms of you can just to see the spotlight on her coming down and her having the solo where she's just belting it mm. and it has so much tension. And, yeah, it just is kind of like a nice little sample.
2: For me, I think it stands out from the rest of the, the ninth wave as being um, perhaps the most cinematic of all. There, there's so much cinematography stuff going on um, some visual, so much imagery that goes on throughout the whole Ninth Wave. But for this one, it's so easy to see the story, and and I love the shifts in it, which were. And I'll talk a little bit of, about the chord progressions, but the way she changes keys oddly and has a male choir come in all of a sudden. I just love the um, the different, all these different things about the song. It's so unique in the kate bush catalog um in the way that she's painting this picture
4: and uh it was the idea of turning the whole thing upside down and looking at it from completely above you know that image of if you were lying in water at night and you were looking up at the sky all the time i wonder if you wouldn't get the sense of as the stars were reflected in the water you know a sense of like. You could be looking up at water that's reflecting the stars from the sky that you're in. And uh, the idea of them looking down at the earth and, um, and seeing these storms forming over America and moving around the globe. And they have this huge, fantastically overseeing view of everything. Everything is in total perspective. And way, way down there somewhere, there's this little dot in the ocean that is them.
3: Yeah, realizing that, oh, wow, this is a beautiful place beautiful and terrible you know because it's the
0: thing that's destroying her because she's drowning and it's also magnificent and that kind of reminds me i only not in my notes i saw it now this idea of the sublime and gothic fiction um which interesting that notes brought to sample because that's based on Dracula which is a seminal piece of gothic fiction but it's the idea of the concept oh what's that writer's name i read a paper things in college Edward something but he wrote he's like like a 1800s philosopher, but he wrote about the sublime and how it's this concept. It's about terror and beauty at the same time. Kind of hmm. like looking at a giant wave. How it's, oh gosh, I have not thought about this in many years, so I'm not remembering correctly. But this idea of the sublime is about when something is so. Beautiful is terrifying, or so magnificent is terrifying, or vice versa. Like, if you think about the word awesome, for example, aside from the kind of modern connotations of third produce, this idea that something is so full of awe that it overtakes you. So, I think that's kind of what's going on in this song is that the things that are beautiful and terrible are intermingling, you know, the things that can nourish us, can also destroy us. You know, there's something like the big sky where she's looking at the sky. Here, the big sky, she's looking at the sky. But the big sky is so playful and joyful. And here, it kind, of, it's overpowered.
3: Mm. Oh my God, I would not even thought of that. Yeah, because in here, it's like, I get out of my car, look up the sky. And, oh, I don't have the lyrics up. But I'll, look at,
0: I'll look them up. Oh, and...
3: I get out of my car, step into the night and look up at the sky and there's something bright, traveling fast, look at it go, look at it go.
0: So there is that same sense of wonder in the big sky, just the way the music sounds. I mean, this is I get out of my car, bam, piano, mm-hmm. you know, out at this guy. So it's just so much more forceful that even though it's about the sense of wonder and it is incredibly magical, it's a darker magic.
3: Mm hmm. Yeah, or she's also like talking about storms you're watching storms start to form over america can't do anything just watch them swing with the wind out to sea Mm -hmm. i think that's beautiful oh my god yeah
0: like that lyric just pointed out can't do anything it's about humans helplessness in the face of nature
3: Mm -hmm. and then next part with all you sailors get out of the waves get out of the water all you all lifesavers like she wants to try and get these like help these people get them away but she's just just floating above the earth she can't she's just watching yeah but she's helpless but it's
0: weird because she's both helpless and this all powerful omnipotent figure because I mean in the beginning she's hella worth with just one hand held up high to blot you out of sight so she's kind of the way I picture it she's kind of you have the narrator floating in the water the narrator's consciousness is outside of her body kind of hovering in outer space almost where in the sense that she can put her hand in front of her eyes and blot earth out of sight and then later in the song there's the oh, my favorite part to sing along to i was there at the birth out of the cloud verse the head of the tempest almost like she's god created i mean we know kate is god but like almost <laughs> like she's god creating the earth from the beginning so it's this really interesting thing again with like helplessness and fear mingled with power and beauty and but you know so it's like she can't do anything because she's helpless but at the same time she's also all powerful she was there at the beginning of the creation of this earth and then i don't really get the ending of why did i go why did i go i'm like go where? i don't but up the hill i don't know but
3: (laughs) you know up that building but yeah
0: but yeah so you were talking about the lyrics for me yeah, so let's we can talk about the lyrics, and then more about like the song itself. Cause sure, yeah. It's just like it's more about the like the music and the composition, and just as I said, that whole sweepingness I really love. I mean, the thing I'm, I I've said love a lot, but I do really love like the song. The thing I admire, I'll change it up, about this song <laughs> is just like so. When you ask what's what, what's my story with this song? In terms of my my personal attachment to this song, is that I listen to it when I feel that similar sensation of being in nature and kind of in awe of that. So every summer, was four, I'm really fortunate. My family's been able to rent a house um, that's by the beach and you have to take a train to a ferry to get there. It's really remote. And so my story with this song is that I had this ritual where I always listen to this song on the ferry because I'm sitting on the top of the boat and it's with the sea and this vastness. And I, this, this part of me is compelled. I don't know when this ritual started a few years ago, but now my ritual is always listening to Hello Earth on that boat ride. And if I like, if I'm running out of time and I only have time to listen to like one song, it's going to be Hello Earth on that boat ride. And also I like to listen to it when I'm on the beach and just looking up at the sky and feeling, for some when I kind of sometimes a few times throughout the day, and I'll be on the beach. I'll go and take a walk along the water and, I just always don't know how it works. it just conjures up that elemental force of nature better than any song i know when I, my ritual is on the boat rod it's my three songs that i always listen to are, um yoga by bjork and this and how big how blue how beautiful by florence mm-hmm. machine because all three of those songs for me just have this air of vastness and grandeur grandeur whatever um but yeah it's funny also because I'm not a fan of Kate Bush covers, but I've always wanted Florence Welsh to cover this song. Mm. I feel like she has the right voice for it in terms of the sweepingness and like just bellowing. I, I really want to hear her cover this song. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think Kate, this song is just, it's a stunner. And I think, um, you know, it's one of the longest tracks on the album. That's for sure. And I think the storytelling is some of the clearest that's, on the album and maybe that's why i was drawn to it because it is it's a pretty pretty simple you know there's the water is growing it's getting stronger and stronger and, and she's going under y'all so i uh i love it I think it's great
3: it is it's a beautiful beautiful song it's very cool to listen to it at night
1: mm. like if and you're driving or
3: something like that like if you're driving like if I'm driving home and see where I live in, in Virginia, uh, we've got Norfolk close by and that's home to, I think they said it's one of the, I think the largest natural Harbor in the world, or maybe the United States, I can't quite remember, but we have a lot of bridges and tunnels. And so you're almost always near water. You're always near a river or uh, one of the tributaries of the river and listening to this, driving in my car and going over one of the bridge tunnels or something going over the river is a really cool experience
2: For me it was I think listening to this in Ireland I've had the, the great um, privilege to have been on the coast of Ireland and when you when your your feet are in the water and you're listening to this and you hear those the guitar and the bazooki and all the pipes it's like wow. I mean, this is what Kate grew up with. This is this is what inspired her, and just to to take it all in with my feet in the water and think about what you know what it was like for her to write this piece. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool stuff. You know, nice.
5: Very uh, much. I
6: I can blot you out, out of sight. Peek-a-boo,
2: peek-a-boo. For me, I think it stands out from the rest of the the ninth wave as being um perhaps the most cinematic of all. There, there's so much cinematography stuff going on. Um, some visual, so much imagery that goes on throughout the whole ninth wave. But for this one, it's so easy to see the story. And, and I love the shifts in it, which were, and I'll talk a little bit of, about the chord progressions, but the way she changes keys oddly and has a male choir come in all of a sudden. I just love the, um, the different, all these different things about the song. It's so unique in the Kate Bush catalog um, in the way that she's painting this picture. So we, we start off in the key of C sharp minor, but before we get to even that we hear these voices, the, the track starts with what sounds like people in outer space having a conversation. So I did a little bit of research on that. And apparently the, those things that we hear are from an actual conversation from the space shuttle Columbia, landing in
5: 1981 so yeah
2: that's real astronauts talking so we hear that bit and then all of a sudden the piano comes in with the c-sharp minor chord and the progression is a very cool and simple one where she goes from c-sharp minor to G sharp minor, but in first posit- first inversion, so it's over B. Hello. Then she moves to F sharp minor over A, and then back to B. Hello. So that becomes sort of the uh, the overall basic chord progression that wraps the verse. Back to C sharp minor, G sharp minor, and C sharp.
6: With just one hand held high, I can blot you out, out of sight. Peekaboo, peekaboo, little love.
2: And she stays pretty much within the C sharp minor tonality throughout the beautiful first couple of verses. Hello.
6: On the seat.
2: And it's sort of free, sort of um, a little bit of rubato going on until she gets to, I guess, my car. The rhythm steps in. I guess you would describe this as almost like a little mini and then the beautiful just look at it go this is a c-sharp c-sharp minor seven chord
6: i get out of my car
0: We can talk about
3: the lyrics or favorite parts of the song. <laughs> yeah, so probably one of my favorite parts of the song is the I get out of my car, step into the night, and look up at the sky, and there's something bright traveling fast. Look at it go. Just I love the way the drums come in on that part. Mm-hmm. That she, you're kind of like it's a kind of quiet, it's not too many instruments behind her, and then suddenly, I get out of. Car, da, da, yeah. da, da, da. just like the drums start coming in. I love that part. I love that part. Well, I like how you just sang it. You can't do it non dramatically. No, I, I can't.
0: That's why, right. <laughs> I, that's what I love about this song is that it just, it, you have to hurl into it. I get out of my
6: car, step into the night, and the cup of the sky.
0: Yeah, no, and then so it's interesting. Also, you pointed out your one of your favorite lyrics is the um, "I get out of my car." That is like the one place that it falter[s] for me a little bit because this song is so otherworldly and the combination of mm -hmm. light and dark and all these forces that when she says, "Where is it?" Um, Yeah, when she says, "I get out of my car." It feels too grounded in the the everyday. For a song so cosmic, it just seems too, like, grounded in the mundane. Like, I can picture seeing her in her car. Like, you don't, like, whereas the rest of the visuals of her literally hovering above the earth in outer space, able to blot it out, you know? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because she also is a driving, driving home, but I actually like that part better because when she says, with just my heart and my mind, I can be driving, driving home, I really like that because it's about, what the ninth wave is about, which is the power both for good and for bad of the mind and the imagination that with just the force of her thinking and her feeling, she can get herself home. She can get, bring herself, because again, with like waking the witch and dream of sleep, everyone's saying, you must wake up. Don't fall asleep. Don't drift into sleep. Because if she does, that's what she's going to die. So her mm-hmm. staying alive is contingent upon her, on herself really on being able to stay present within herself and so really this is kind of expanding upon that with just the power of her own fault with her own will and her own and her own thoughts and her own feelings she can drive herself back into and really navigate between the living and the dead it's
6: just my home.
3: And yet, I always saw that line, like those lines about her driving, driving home, is where she is. She is hovering above the earth, and she's imagining what it could be like to be down there and actually watching, watching the, the, this, the, the quote-unquote something bright, which happens to be maybe her passing over through the atmosphere hmm. and dying. Yeah, that's that's how I've, I've always very seen it. <laughs> oh,
0: interesting. That's very bad, where she's like, because that's very Jig of Life almost, where there's two cases. One is kind of singing to herself from the future, and the one on the ground is watching, you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting.
4: Hello Earth was a very difficult track to write as well, because it was, uh, it was in some ways, it was too big for me, you know. <laughs> and I ended up with this song that had two huge, great holes in the choruses where the drums stopped and everything stopped and people would say to me, what's going to happen in these choruses? And I hadn't got a clue. We had the whole song, it was all there, but these huge great holes in the choruses and I knew I wanted to put something in there and I'd had this idea to put a vocal piece in there that was like um, this traditional tune I'd heard used in the film Nosferatu and um, really everything I came up with rubbish really compared to what this piece was saying so we did some research to find out if it was possible to use it and it was so that's what we did we re-recorded the piece and i kind of made up words that sounded like what i could hear was happening on the original
3: and suddenly there were these beautiful voices in these choruses that had just been like two black holes and also like another one of my favorite parts of this song is when the choir comes in because it just has this like you feel like you're floating in space and everything's just very chill. But there's also something a little bit creepy going on. Mm-hmm. It's so pretty. And I'm glad that she – because I know that it's my understanding with this song that she got up through to the chorus, you know, where – I guess the so Why Did I Go or Looking at Go, and there were just two huge holes in the chorus. And she brought in these singers – to to come and sing this part it was um I'm trying to look up their names the Richard Hickok singers she brought them into her studio and got them to sing this piece and it's just it feels like you're uh, Graham Thompson he he in Under the Ivy he says that 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 choral part it's almost like you listening to it feels like you're kind of watching clouds go across the moon or something like with the way their voices mm-hmm. coming in and out and she's just you don't even under I didn't even know that they were singing words I thought it was just oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. me too and yet even though you cannot understand the words and it's just you feel touched by it you don't have to understand anything it's all in just like the sound of the human voice and that that fascinates me and I know it fascinates her as well. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I really like what you were saying about, because that's something I wanted to bring up, what you were saying about how the song sounds like what it's trying to evoke, in terms of the the part of the chorus, of not sound like you're just kind of floating. What I really liked is throughout this, yes, how the actual way it sounds evokes, or uh, conjures up what the song itself and the words are trying to evoke, of kind of that vastness, the splendor, and being kind of helpless in the face of it and small in the face of it, too.
2: And then all of a sudden... We switch something different happens
0: mm-hmm. and
2: what kate what kate has talked about on in videos and interviews is that she sort of wrote that much of the song and then had a stop and she was like well i know i want something different here not sure what i want figure it out later so then she went and she recorded her next verse about watching the storm start to form over america and i'll come back to that in a minute But anyway, what she ended up doing was putting in this male chorale in the holes of her song that she wrote, and um, it's in a totally different tonality. In fact, when I first heard it, uh, it was very jarring. I thought, oh no, is something wrong with my cassette tape, or am I hearing something funny? Um, Because she shifts to the tonality of F, which has nothing to do with C sharp minor. Mm -hmm. It's very different. And this, uh, the choir sings in sort of a mixolydian mode. It's got that lowered seventh, like we heard last week on um, "Watching You Without Me." It's got F chords and F seven. It's always over this pedal tone of F by the low bass voice. And then we drop a step to E flat. It comes back to F and then there's no transition back to C sharp minor, which is an interesting thing. So the, we sort of breathe and the strings go and all of a sudden we're back to the hello earth. Really unique, very neatly put together. Um, let's talk a little bit about the music that is within the F major section because that is something that Kate herself did not compose.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Apparently, she saw uh, a remake of Nosferatu and heard this beautiful Gregorian folk song that I think is called Sintaro, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and so it was arranged by Richard Berkeley and sung by the Richard Hickok singers, is what the, the liner notes tell us. And they use what I believe are nonsense syllables. Is, is that what you have heard too? Because it's not, I I don't know if she's trying to avoid a copyright issue, or or what, but the the words the choir sings are are very unintelligible.
3: So I always always wondered, it, is it, it does sound like wordless vocals to me? Um, right. But yeah, it it is based on a uh, Georgian folk song Zankara, which means by the spring, and mm-hmm. uh, it it is a Georgian folk song, and there is actually. Uh, a translation of the lyrics, but it's hard to tell if they're singing the actual words from that song. Hmm. Cause I almost wonder if maybe she just used the melody because it does it doesn't sound like words at all.
2: No. And I think I think you're on to something. It probably has little to do with what the text of the actual folk song is. She probably just liked that haunting feeling that it had in the movie. Um <clears throat> and I think the vocal arrangement itself is is very unique. It's got that, that drony low F out of bass voice and it just uh it it is very scary to listen to. <laughs>
0: I heard it funny because before we started recording the episode, we were talking for a while and we were talking, I'm talking about going to see a play with my favorite actress is Zalajani. I know when I first heard it with the chanting, I loved it. And I was also very annoyed because I was like, I know this. I've heard this before. I can't pin it down. Why? Where have I heard this? And it drove me nuts. I couldn't figure it out. And then I realized that it was from Nosferatu which is the, um, I want to say 1979. I should look it up. I'm lazy. Um, no to the Vampire, which is directed by Werner Herzog, starring Isabel Johnny, favorite actress, which at that point, it's funny because I, I love her and Kate Bush. I call them like my two moms. And I became obsessed with them kind of around the same time, but Isabel Johnny a few months before. So I had this spree of just like watching all of her movies. So I'd watched that. And, um, and then a few months later hearing this, I was like, wait, I know that music. It's written somewhere. Mm. So then learning that she sampled that piece of music from Nosferatu, it was like, oh, that's where I've heard it. love that movie enough for the music to leave the impression on her and her to want to use it because I love that movie and it's like connecting these really random separate things that are important to me coming together and being connected. It doesn't happen a lot because especially in terms of the influence of cinema on her work in the past been kind of adapting a story but here it's a really different type of inspiration where she's taking a piece of the music from a movie.
3: Yeah, and actually, the uh, you, you talking about the the choral piece that it was actually taken from a Georgian folk song, which I thought was really cool. Um, yeah, the Georgian not- uh, the Georgian folk song is called uh, Zin- Zinskaro, which means by the spring. Yeah. And so it's
0: not like from Nosferatu, but she probably heard it in there. Mm-hmm. It's not like. I mean, even though Patty's late like the world music and everything, it makes sense that she probably would have seen it in Nosferatu.
3: Yeah, actually, it says, Kate heard, uh, heard it first performed by the vocal ensemble Gordella on the soundtrack of Werner Herzog's 1979 film Nosferatu the Vampire. The lyric translates. I thought this was really pretty. The lyric translates as: "I was passing by the spring. There, I met a beautiful woman with a jug on her shoulder. I spoke a word to her, and she left offended. I was passing by the spring." Mm. Yeah, and see, just to me, I don't even hear that choral part as words. I just hear it as Neither. sounds. I just hear it as Same. almost like a, like mouth music in a way, you know. Mhm. Same. Yeah,
0: that's true. But it just, it's just, I love thinking about her wa- her watching Israel Johnny. Like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, like I'm loving it that much. But yeah, just in terms of why I love this song so much, I feel like it's this cosmic and commanding force more than a piece of music. Like, and Kate herself has described it as a visual song and in Under the Ivy, Graham Thompson kind of talks about it that way too. He says that song, pans away from the water, it up to the sky, flying again, Somewhere, Bush gazes down on the scene and contemplates our planet, underscoring our insignificance in the face of the universe and through it all, the terrible power of nature, storms gathering, the wind whipping, the sea a murderer of calm. So yeah, I just really love that cosmic element. I feel like in the album introduction episode we talked about the force of nature on this album and how it is so integral to the work. And this is really where it hits its height because I mean, cult how it works. So it's really serving the planet and saying, Oh, ho- and greeting it and observing it from afar because at this point the narrator is hovering between life and the narrative and I believe hovering between life and death. Mm. So at this point it's like that thing a kind of like being outside your own body and seeing everything pass by and this omnipotence. So that's what's so cool about this song. There is this omnipotent feeling to it of just being in awe of the universe. And all of that, like so I get out of my car and look up at the sky, you know, and just seeing how beautiful it is. And she
2: chose to use this chunk of choir twice. So she does. She goes on and does the verse about watching storms and does the bridge section, um, which I'll talk about shortly.
0: Something Dan, because he's like Roger that Dan. And so why? Because presumably the characters in the story, the woman at sea, I'd presume is English. Mm -hmm. then why is she floating out at sea in america i mean why is she floating out at sea and having american guys over the walkie-talkie? and also like there's a lot of watching storms start to form over america so it's one of her rare both of these are some of her rare shout outs to our our motherland but also like huh the rare time you give us a mention it's about how we're having a storm you really hate us don't you
3: Kind of disrespect her when she came over for some of these interviews, but you know. Yeah, so that was after she recorded it. Yeah, I know. I um know. Just saying. So I honestly had never really thought about that till now, but I'm just kind of going off like, like I don't know if this is even gonna make sense, but this is what's going through my head when I hear it. I'm thinking that there's the reference to America because. I don't think it's necessarily the United States of America. It's just, I mean, there's North and South America, and right. we're and the are two the are two continents are huge, and that we tend to get a lot of storms. I mean, as of this recording, we got a storm that's going to be moving up the coast toward Florida. We tend to get a lot of the we tend to get very strong hurricanes and. And nor'easters and other such storms and I don't really ever hear about them happening in other places and I'm guessing that she she chose it because it sat maybe it sounded cool it worked with the melody that she had in mm-hmm. mind and it's it, our it's a big place it's pretty prominent you look at the globe you can see hey North and South America Kind of right there. It's just a, a big place, I'm guessing. That's why she chose it. I don't know if this made any sense. I'm just going off the top of my head. Hi. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I
0: didn't think about that. Um, I. What are your thoughts? I was being small-minded and just thinking about America being the United States. Bad girl, to me. But yeah, no, I. Just, that's Yeah, I was curious what you thought because it's also interesting that the guys in the beginning are American. That she didn't just have like her brother and a friend. Mm. Do it the way that she usually
5: does.
3: So let's see, what are some other favorite parts of the song for you? Oh gosh, like all of it, but um, (laughs) (laughs) because I know you're such a huge fan. I
0: know, I'm such a big fan. So, my absolute favorite part. Is after the first chanting chorus. My absolute favorite part is from two minutes in to three minutes twenty six seconds in, from the so from the swelling strings with the do hello, what? to why did I go huh? at the very end that climax. Oh my gosh, that to me is just like musical musical ecstasy, is being in such a state of ecstasy and prof- ecstasy and perfection. Just the backing instrumentation and the Irish pipes. I, is it? is it the pipes in this song? Uh, Ilian pipes. Ilian Pipes, yes. Yeah. The alien Pipes in this song, where it builds... So I really love when she says, all you... I always... I find it funny, she's like, all you sailors, you know, all I save us. But, like, when she says that, you have the Ilian Pipes really building underneath her vocals, and she says, all you sailors, in the same way that in breathing, when she said, like, you hear the drums kind of build underneath her voice, and then it kind of goes from there. But then all the backing vocals come in, and under All You Fishermen Head for Home, there's this crashing noise underneath the vocal, which is really cool. So yeah, everything from two minutes to three minutes, 26 seconds in, I will just play that on repeat over and over and over and over. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I just love everything about it, how as I talked about earlier, how there's so much tension and building and building and building to why'd I go and, like, crash. And based on that crash, then you have to come down with that those few minutes of the chorus and I love how her voice is balancing between the calm and the commanding and yeah I just think it's so fun to sing along to and feel like you're commanding the wind or something like that but my favorite is that all you sailors all you fishermen wait for home oh my gosh so much fun I just feel like with that part you kind of have you're just like bouncing and like it's coming yeah. out of you well not that <laughs> coming out of her for me, I only ever like lip sync it because I have no talent. Hello, uh. Hello uh. watch
6: your storm start to.
0: In general with this song, the thing I love that so much is I feel like it's being sung from the top of a mountain, right? It's like Mm -hmm. a declaration more than a song. I feel like it's one of those old romantic. what's that famous romantic um, era painting of the, it's always on covers of Frankenstein for some reason. But it's like this guy, I think it's a Shelly painting. thing. It's a guy and he's like on the top of a mountain and it's off the wind. But I just feel like someone is singing this and belting it from the top of a mountain. And it's going into the sky and commanding the wind with it. That's what this song feels like to me. And so, yes, yeah, so all you sailors, all you like savers, it's just so extra. <laughs> and I love that so much.
2: For this piece, piano really is the heartbeat, which I love being a piano yes. player myself. But curiously, at the bridge, I don't know if you ever noticed this, it almost goes away. We start to hear a guitar, there's an acoustic guitar, and a bazooki and some pipes that start to really take the lead at the um, All You Sailors. Even though it sounds gorgeous on piano, um, the guitar, I guess she wanted that... So that it had more of a drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she kind of trades off vocals with the background singers.
1: She sings all you
2: sailors, they answer, get out of the waves, get out of the water. And then it kind of builds and builds and builds until we get to, um, let's see. I was there at the birth, out of the clouds. Will you
6: see
3: Also love the um the the part that you liked too, the go to um, I was there at the birth out of the cloudburst, the head of the tempest. I just I think that that I mean it's got this it's her, basically her second chorus. Because it's got the same melody as I get out of my car, but she's not repeating the chorus. If that makes any sense. I mean, cause I just love mm-hmm. digging into especially like the structure of her songs, because they're just they're not as, like, elastic and everything as somebody like like Tori or something, but they aren't, like, strictly, like, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. She's going to switch things up mm-hmm. a little bit. And then
0: my favorite, my, I can't say my favorite. I love it all. And then I was there at the birth. I love how she alternates a lot with her voice in terms of syllables and how she will emphasize things differently. So, for example, Autumn, I was there, a lot of emphasis on there at the birth, then like out of the cloud birth, the head of the tempest, like a lot of weird emphasis there you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like when you're, I always, just, like whenever I'm listening to this, I feel the urge to point, like I was there at the birth and point out of the cloud birth, point something else, and the head of the tempest and point something else, and then murderer, murderer of comp. You feel like you want to point at something in a really accusatory way. I am, oh, it's just, it's just all this energy bundling up and all this catharsis you're just, it feels like something's pouring out of you like it's not, like it's such a thing like yeah like in terms of waking the witch that's a song that's kind of about being accused of something and being found guilty of something and here it's like you're the one who's in power or she's the one who's in power it's not the subject of another force it's i was there at the, i was the big i was there at the birth i'm omnipotent force and you're the murderer the murderer of calm
6: the bus, out of the cloud burst the head of the tempest.
2: Murderer, murderer, and all of a sudden all these vocals come in in a huge stack and say murderer these added color tones murderer of calm we get to hear Kate again using her upper register there that's probably my favorite moment of the song, uh, it's just so powerful. Cause the strings swell and then you hear the guitar and then stacks of vocals saying murderer of calm. I just get chills.
0: Speaking of which, so Grant Thompson does The C is the murder of calm. I don't think, what, what do you interpret as being the murder of calm?
3: So I've been trying to think about that because I'm not entirely sure unless it, it's supposed to be referring to the storm. Yeah, that's what I initially thought, honestly. The head of the Tempest, murder, murder of calm. You get they get the, everything's all great and then the storm comes along and, and everything's all Tangled up and and destroyed. Unless it's, it's supposed to be a callback to Waking the Witch. I don't know. I interpret it the same way as you. I think that,
0: and it's hard because I tried to look up on Gaffel Up and elsewhere things that she said about this song, and she said very, very little.
3: Yeah, she has. So she's not can't said really a get lot.
0: Her yeah, it's, it's interesting too because there's, for her earlier albums, we would look up songs. I guess just because she was less guarded and stuff and would write more in her newsletter and all that, there would be so much more material on each individual song. Like when we did Get Out of My House even, she spoke extensively about that and it's not even a single. Whereas I feel like for this album, moving forward, she kind of only extensively talks about the songs that are singles. Mm-hmm. You don't really get a lot of... So I wasn't able to... I was curious to know, for example, like what she interprets as the murder of calm. Because, for example, with um, Get Out of My House, only from reading her talking about it would I have known that at the end, the two, that it's supposed to be kind of a relief, that she's supposed to be facing down the thing that's chasing her and scaring it away. I always, before reading her interview about it, had interpreted that ending as a defeat rather than a conquering of that force. But she describes it more as a conquering, which makes me read the song differently. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder what she could say here about this that might me read it differently. But yeah, I just love the force of it all this song to me is just pure force and magnitude and embodies those really powerful things. And that to me is what makes it so special. I mean, as I was saying, there's not a lot of, we're talking about Kate Bush and Florence Welch. not a lot of people write about the magnitude of nature. That's not, you know, it's mostly like, Oh, here's a breakup. Yeah. And it's really nice to be able for me to listen to as someone like, you know, a lot of anxiety in my own life, just be able to listen to music that's about, the world. That's about looking out at the sea and the vastness of it and taking that in. And that's so much something that's greater and larger than ourselves or any mortal concern.
3: Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that her going kind of going back to her parents' house and building her recording studio there and just being out in the countryside and around nature, it's no wonder there are so many songs about nature on this album. And, and like you were saying, just getting caught up in things that are bigger than you. bigger than you.
0: Yeah, and I think what makes this song really important in her body of work and on the album is that it's where that peaks, where she's not just thinking about nature, she's joining with nature. She's there at the birth. The head, that the cloud burst the
3: head of the tempest oh, that is a beautiful line and i, I especially like lo- i don't know if she did this on purpose i really liked the i wonder if the cloud burst part is a slight like meta reference almost
2: <laughs> how the cloud burst the head of the tempest yeah
3: just like later in uh, You Want Alchemy and when she sings that it's uh, on a cloud busting kind of day.
2: She's all about the clouds, man. She that she them.
3: is. <laughs> clouds yes. and flying are like her two most favorite things in the world.
2: Yes. And apparently um, even when she's drowning, she wants to fly overhead and see what she looks like um, in the water. But yeah, you're right. And then the head of the tempest, which I'm assuming is meaning a, a great storm, um, a storm that takes away the peace and the calm. And then she asks, why did I go? Why did I go? And that's that's a very deep question at that point. And that's the last we hear of her before she supposedly drifts off or dies with that German stuff at the And what
3: do you think about why did I go? Because I, I think of the, since we're kind of talking about the end of the song a little bit, that... Mm-hmm. I always, I think of Why Did I Go as her as the spirit floating above Earth and thinking about kind of what brought her to this point, this shipwreck and she was out in the storm and and trying to trying to stay awake and not drown and die and the why did I go, like why was it like why was it my time to go almost?
0: I actually read it the same way too, as you do. Um, it's kind of why, why did I go from like this realm of the living to the in-between realm or the realm of the dead and bordering. Yeah, it's, it, I don't really know what it means because again, we don't really have her input to tell us, but that shouldn't really matter anyway. You know, what you interpret it as what matters, is what matters. And um, and yeah, I, have, I, I feel like it is kind of random, especially because this song doesn't really about being in conflict with those different realms of the living and the dead as much as some of the other like for example walking without me is about straddling those boundaries this is more about just taking in the world so it's kind of going back so maybe it's kind of the way to get back to earth the way to get to the morning fog you know of being which interesting this is literally coming to right now but interesting then the next song to the morning fog because The song doesn't really talk about fog, but again, it's like relating this to nature. I don't know. But that would be a, a topic for a different song episode. Why is this called The Morning Fog anyway? I know. It's not like on the song The Fog Itself from Central World where she talks about fog. But The Morning Fog is more about being grounded and less kind of appreciating nature, but more about appreciating interpersonal relationships and appreciating, like, I kiss the ground appreciating feeling the earth as a tangible thing whereas this song is more about observing the earth as a almost elemental thing and not something you can really you know just one hand, you can blot it out of sight she can't touch it
3: mm-hmm. so I found this really interesting this is this is actually from genius.com and I like how genius.com when you look up song lyrics that you can add in annotations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I thought this was an, this was, I don't know who this is from. This is from some contributor. He says, this song comes as the last of the drowning woman's strength is leaving her. Although both the rescue team, get out of the waves, get out of the water, and her own subconscious, murderer, murderer of calm, are still attempting to reach her. She only hears them as very far off voices. She's withdrawn and feels disconnected from her body to such an extent that Mm -hmm. she seems to forget all about herself, seeing only the earth and thinking of sleep. Right. And then here, it should be noted that Kate Bush has said that the character from the ninth wave does not die, which is evidenced by the last track. Even if the character does not die, she is clearly on the brink of death. Right. So it's kind of what?
0: And we don't, not the clear answer then what brings her back to life, or stops her from straddling those lines of life and death? Because the last thing we hear saying is "Why did I go? Why did I go?" And then in the next, and then we have the very long. So, and they do this in before the dawn as a visual to kind of show like the people carry her off at the end of Hello Earth, mm-hmm. but it, it kind of looks though more like being carried off as a corpse, honestly. Yeah. The way that it's done, as opposed to being brought back to life or revived. But yeah, because the last thing we hear her say is "why to go, why to go," then the chorus, which is a very eerie chorus and sounds like a death march of sorts, and then suddenly, mm-hmm. doo, 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 doo. very upbeat, mm-hmm. like "oh, okay, we're back." So we don't really see how she, there's not in between of how, like, a song of how she really gets, how she's able to make herself fully wake up. And maybe this is the answer, though. Maybe the answer is it's only by being completely removed from her body is she able to then go back into, I, it's, I don't really know how to phrase it, but like, it's only by getting to the extreme of being about being completely omnipotent. Are you able to, Is, is are you, or she saying, or is the narrator able to then kind of reenter the physical world and really be grateful? Like, you know, I kiss the ground. I tell my mother how much I love her. You can't really be grateful for what you have until you've seen, until you've been able to look at it objectively. And what's more objective than,
3: being floating outside the earth, observing it. Mm hmm. Okay, having like out of body experience. Yeah, I hadn't really quite thought about that. I mean, that's one way to look at the murderer, murderer of combs. I was thinking of that as the storm.
0: Me too. Yeah. I mean, the storm and also consciousness and all different things. You know, that's so great of her music can interpret as different things. But, oh yeah. Yeah, we don't really see that passage back to life. There's not an in between song about. Sliding back into her body. The ending on why did I go? Makes it sound like she's traveling even further out of her consciousness or out of her body. But then she's back soon. But it's something that happens. That's why it needs to be like so long, the outro. is because yeah. she needs all that time <laughs> to go back into herself. I guess that answers it. Because I have often asked myself, you know, why is it so long at the end? And that's what for a while prevented me from really loving this song. But then once I, it just kind of clicked and I was like, you really need it as a breather, you know, because it's it's so intense. It's so intense that you need to just exhale. Then she
2: comes back to the choir and it's pretty much just the same chunk of music that is uh, repeated again at the end. The only difference is this time when the men hold the last note, the strings have this really spooky drop Mm -hmm. from the low F down to the C sharp. And it's uh, very haunting. Apparently she said in an interview that this was meant to have a change of perspective um, to reflect like the singer. The first part is the singer in the water. And then Kate sees this block of, of male singing as almost like, okay, well now we're up in outer space. And we can look down and see the person in the water. Um, That's what I think she was going for. She implies that in an interview.
3: So I've always thought of the uh, the transition to the singing as like kind of her spirit, either like her spirit rising up and watching over the earth, and hoping Mm -hmm. that she'll come back down and be reborn. And then that you know leads into the last track with the morning fog, where I enter. Where I, in, which I interpret as that um, she's been rescued and she's coming back home to her family.
2: Yeah, some people have written online that they feel like she almost died in the end of Hello Earth. Um, there's all that uh, whispery stuff at the end where we can't understand what she's saying. Um, in, I think it's in, it sounds like German or something. Have you mm-hmm. translated it? what that is or do you know have any idea what she's saying at the end I other than th- go to sleep little earth
3: okay it's a two i'm not even going to try to pronounce it because i speak french which is a completely different language family um <laughs> yeah, at the end it's a german for deeper deeper somewhere in the depth there is a light
2: ah okay so maybe it is like a rebirth kind of a thing um whether she dies for real or not the morning fog implies Yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to love my family and I'm going to be a reporter.
3: think it's really cool that at the very end that there's I didn't realize this until I really listened that there's some German way at the very end it's like I think it's kind of whispered and it says apparently it's translated as a deeper deeper somewhere in the deep is there a light and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I took French in I speak English, but I really don't want to butcher the German. But apparently, there's some some German just kind of thrown in there, which I thought was really cool. Yeah,
0: that part at the end, I I never knew what the hell she was saying. I just was like, well, I don't know what you're sa-. like. There's a meme guy who mm. drag race where he goes, "Girl, I don't know what you're saying." The girl I'm living. I'm like, that's how I felt about that part.
6: I get out of my car. Step into the night and look up at the sky. And there's something bright, traveling fast. Just let it go. Just let it go.
3: So I've been watching through uh, Miami Vice this year. And I, the original, I, well, not the original one, no, the original TV series. And yeah. awesome. of course I've only seen the first season and I think one or two episodes of the second season. And I did not know this cause I have not gotten to it yet, but in the eighth episode of the second season, there is a portion of Hello Earth that is used in that episode. What? But- Please elaborate. (laughs) Kate, but yeah, no, it's in, so in the eighth episode of the second season entitled Bushido, a portion of Kate's song, Hello Earth, uh, was used. The episode premiered on November 22nd, 1985. And like I said, I haven't gotten up that far yet. I've gotten through the first two episodes of the second season. And it, it has been really cool, like hearing like contemporary music in the show, which I know was part of the the appeal of the show that, oh, they're they're not using stock music, they're actually using music you could have heard on the radio. And so it's funny for me, like, watching it and then hearing, like, oh, hey, that's a Phil Collins. Hey, that's a police song. I have not seen this episode yet, but Hello Earth is used in this this episode. But also... Bushido. Yeah, it's, it's called, called Bushido. Bushido. Uh That's it's wait, about B U S H I D O B U S H I D O, yeah. Yeah, that's so that's that's maybe they're like, oh well huh, B we use Bush, so we're gonna find a song. <laughs> you know, I would not be surprised if that was part of it. Um <laughs> let's see. Um yeah, that's portion so funny. The portion of "Hello Earth" played is the choral section of the Gregorian folk song uh, during the scenes with Laura, Murdy Castillo, Surf, and the KGB operatives. Because the summary of this episode is uh, Castillo, who is their um, uh, the detective lieutenant, uh, Edward James Olmos, who went on to do a bunch of other TV shows, including I know there's a science fiction one that. Andrew has watched, I can't remember. Uh, Costello helps an old CIA friend get his Russian wife and son to safety from the KGB. But I haven't gotten up to this episode yet, but it'll be interesting to watch and like listen for Hello Earth in Miami Vice of all things. That's so random Also because then she must have given like licensing, right? Oh, definitely.
0: <laughs> hey, hey, call it for Miami Vice.
3: Wanna use a song? And actually, it's not the first time that she her songs have actually been her being in the has she's been in the show twice because in a later episode, her duet with Peter Gabriel is used in the episode Redemption and Blood. Hmm. Interesting. Is from the fifth season. Again, I haven't gotten that far. I've been doing lots of other stuff but I just thought that was just really interesting to note that her music that this song was used in as mood music in Miami Vice which I just you wouldn't expect but that's kind of going to be a really cool episode to watch and just to listen for, for a America, can't do anything
6: just watch them with the wind to see all you say
3: the live version of this song from Before the Dawn, since we we don't really have visuals beyond just pictures and fan various fan bootlegs, but we do have the audio. So what do you think of the live version? Hmm, I'm
0: oh man, I'll get hated for this. I really it makes me very sad. It makes me sad. So I just feel like I really I like when she does the um, endless sky, honey, works very well but as someone who loves this song so deeply i just hear how different it sounds because i just wish she'd like tried to change the key more or something i don't i don't i like the staging of it in terms of the, like crappy like i have the p hospital won't release the dvd it's in five years yeah it's much but like it's yeah just when i hear it i just it's so wrong to me. I'm sorry, Kate. But it really is. Like
3: it's I'm just like this isn't it's like, ooh, yeah, I know how about you. <laughs> I like the visuals with it. Like, I'm sorry, the visuals, yeah. I'm looking at a picture of this for, This is on a Kate Bush Encyclopedia. It's really cool. It looks like something out of a Milan Farmer concert. It's so theatrical and really cool. Like, that's like the only adjective mm-hmm. I could think of. I'm looking at, especially the, like the, with the, the, all that red and, and her being carried out and everything, it, it just makes me think of, like, I think, Milan Farmer when I see that because Milan is very theatrical. If anybody's listening, you're like, oh yeah, Milan Farmer. Well, Milan Farmer is kind of like a French Madonna. And mm-hmm. she usually does huge stage shows that are extremely elaborate. She usually has some sort of really dramatic entrance. Like she plays up the drama all the time. So I look at this picture, and I'm thinking, like, this looks like something from a Milan Farmer show. As for the audio, I'm going to be honest. I actually don't really listen to Before the Dawn as an album very much because I feel like I'm only getting half the show. Because exactly. Exactly. I feel like I need to see what's going on on the stage. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm only listening to half the show. As her singing, yes, her voice is definitely older. And I'm sorry, Kate. Why did you smoke so much? You should not have done that. Your voice is definitely deteriorated a little bit because of that. It's not to say that she can't sing anymore, but I can tell that it's just different. It yeah, like these songs were written for her younger voice. When she gets mm-hmm. up to the aerial stuff, that was written with more of her current voice. So it it kind of sits a little bit better i think whereas on this you can there's a i can hear a little bit of strain and stuff in there and, a, and it's it's definitely different i don't know i'm i'm eh, i'm kind of on the live version if i had the visuals yeah. with it i might like it better where equivalent right now of you know the infamous great gowns beautiful gowns Aretha franklin
0: moment it's where this just interviewed they asked her about all different Current pop singers and say Taylor Swift and she she just saying this are all great voice. but Taylor Swift she goes great gowns beautiful gowns <laughs> and it's kind of this iconic moment of throwing shade just all she can think of <laughs> oh I guess the uh, great gowns but we're kind of doing that with this but yeah no I agree with you mm. I I feel like it's um it's just a, someone who like the what I love so much about the song is how powerful the sheer vocal force of it is when you don't have that vocal force. It's not the same thing anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, and it's not. I don't. I'm not being ageist. It's not. I don't mind that her voice because age. I mind that it's not as powerful. Um, yeah, that's what like, it yeah, is. I, I don't mind that she has some like emphasis, and I feel like she does have some really good vocal moments. I really like mm-hmm. like "Top of the City" is really good. I don't listen to, I like "Oh Yeah" on that often, but I don't either. Yeah, I just feel like this. This it just brings up way too much negative contrasting for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like she should have changed. I mean, you can't really change it because it is what it like. But yeah, and I agree though with the visuals. One thing I think is really cool is that so the people who carry her off at the end, because she's supposed to kind of like be climbing a thing, and the people carry her off, there's the giant fish people, and they're wearing these giant fish people masks, and it looks really. I wish I got to see in person, the Victoria and Albert Museum, in November 2015. That was one of my favorite memories. Um, but What's cool about it is it reminds me always that image of the stuff in, like, old Egyptian art of people being carried off into, mm-hmm. like, the world of the dead. There's Horace, you know, and with, like, the bird face. You know, it's not the same. It's, that like, similar curvature. So it always reminds me of that imagery of the different animal faces carrying, like, the men with the animal faces carrying someone off on their hands who's lying down. It's really parallel mm-hmm. that. So I like that a lot.
3: Oh well I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if like I wouldn't be surprised if maybe she was when coming up with the concepts for how hey, how are we gonna visualize this for people on stage, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of her inspiration. Cause I got the same sort of impression.
0: Yeah. Oh that's cool, we thought the same thing. Yeah, and another thing that comes up is funny because um she if you have seen the booklet from Before the Dawn, she her hatred of Titanic made very clear she's always like, this can't look like Titanic. <laughs> but when <laughs> listening to this song, I do kind of think of Titanic a little because there's that one part where it's like the, I don't know what instrument it is or if it's something similar on the fair light, but I think it's after All Your Fishermen Wait for Home where it's kind of like, not a horn blowing, but it's that thing that sounds like Titanic, whatever that is. And I feel like this is a almost a better song for Titanic and my heart will go on in a way. <laughs> but, and then the staging of it where she's climbing a boat definitely evokes some of that imagery, even though I know she didn't want it to, because she's like, camp Titanic. But, uh, I, there, I mean, that booklet is really such a gem. You get so many interesting insights into her personality, One of and quirks, one of which is this hatred of Titanic, which you wouldn't have necessarily expected. But. Mm.
2: <laughs> I have not listened to it a lot. Is, is there something about it that is very different than what we have here?
3: Honestly, not very much. It's just that her voice is a little bit more weathered, but of course she's a little bit older. She recorded this when she was, uh, now the live performance, I mean, at least of the, the audio is really not that much different. What I've been able to glimpse from, yes, I'm gonna say it, bootlegs, I've actually been saying that <laughs> a lot on this part of the season. Uh, what I've been able to glimpse of uh, bootlegs of this performance from Before the Dawn, it's very theatrical like at the very end she's like carried out and the whole scene um you can actually find a picture of it on uh, the kate bush encyclopedia.com or sorry kate bush encyclopedia.com there's a a still image of her doing this song and the way the stage is set up it looks a lot like one of my favorite french artists she's kind of like a french madonna and she does very, very theatrical work, and I've mentioned her on the podcast before, Milen Farmer. Like, the whole set looks... I expect Milen to come out, like, singing <laughs> Whispery in French or something like that, but it's really very, sweet. like, gothic and dark, and not just... And I say dark not just because of, you know, somebody trying to film this, you know, very covertly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but was Kate lying, like, like, as if she were dead when they carried
3: her out? Uh, when she when they carried her out, she was lying down on something, and so they, like, they carried her through the audience.
2: But was she moving at all? Or I guess nope. you can't really tell if it was still. See, I think she is trying to say that it was a near-death or, you know, one of those type of experiences. That must have been very powerful to see her do that live.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't get to see... I didn't get to see it live, but I've talked with other people, of course, on the show who have, and it's like, oh, yeah, she was carried out, yeah, and all that.
2: I wonder if they have those submarine sounds, because it sounds like at the end, once we get to C sharp, and it's just repeated with the German text going on, you hear bubbles and like, it's almost like a submarine sound. I think that's another oh, yeah. part of the rep- yeah the representation of her going down. And then, of course, the beautiful guitar and the brightness that follows with um, morning fog is cool contrast.
1: Mm hmm.
6: thing just watch them swing with the wind out to sea
2: Yeah, I think, Kate, this song is just, it's a stunner. And I think, um, you know, it's one of the longest tracks on the album, that's for sure. And I think the storytelling is some of the clearest that's on the album. And maybe that's why I was drawn to it, because it is, it's a pretty, pretty simple, you know, there's, the water is growing, it's getting stronger and stronger, and and she's going under, y'all. So I, uh, I
3: love it. I think it's great. It is. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. It's very cool to listen to it at night. Mm.
1: Like if and you're on driving or
3: something like that. Like if I were driving, like if I'm driving home and see where I live in in Virginia, uh, we've got Norfolk close by, and that's home to I think they said it's one of the I think the largest natural harbor in the world, or maybe the United States. I can't quite remember. But we have a lot of bridges and tunnels, and so you're almost always near water. You're always near a river or uh, one of the tributaries of the river. And listening to this, driving in my car and going over one of the bridge tunnels or something, going over the river, is a really cool experience.
2: For me, it was, I think, listening to this in Ireland. I've had the, the great um privilege to have been on the coast of Ireland. And when you when your your feet are in the water and you're listening to this and you hear those the guitar and the bazooki and all the pipes. It's like, wow, I mean this is what Kate grew up with. This is this is what inspired her and just to, to take it all in with my feet in the water and think about what, you know, what it was like for her to write this piece. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool stuff.
3: Very yeah. much
2: well, this has been fun, as always. I look forward to hearing the edited versions make me sound coherent.
3: <laughs> of course I always do for everybody. Even me. And I'm like, take out my ums and oh's and b-, 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 b
2: Yeah, after I heard the first one, I was like, I didn't realize how so many times I said um so now I'm really aware of that.
3: Oh, it's okay. <laughs> oh it took me a while, like I got the first like couple of episodes I ever edited and I was, like, still trying to figure out, like, how to really still be myself, but I'm talking to a microphone and blah, blah, blah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and you want to sound, you know, excited and positive, but you don't want to sound overly caffeinated either. I know. It's a hard line to walk.
3: Well, let's see. I think we've pretty much covered everything about this song. What do you think? I think so, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's nice. It's interesting. We're talking about it on the last weekend of August, so like, it's interesting because this song for me is summer, you know, and now summer's ending, so what a perfect way to wrap
3: that up. Indeed. Yeah, this is probably going to come out like October-ish, something like that. Not sure. Haven't thought that far yet. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, true, yeah. that's No, yeah, but this song for me just kind of embodies like the height of what everything this album is about in terms of the themes, and and by much of what makes her a great artist in terms of doing so many different things within one song, being so brave, being so, and in terms of trying different things that most people don't try, in terms of the structure and the form and the sounds in it, and just the drama and the force, that no one does drama like her, no one.
3: Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Well, we've gone floating above the earth and now we're gonna come back down to earth in the form of fog for the final song on the album Hounds of Love, The Morning Fog. And so that's gonna be the next song we're gonna talk about and it's gonna be the last one from the album. Of course, we'll still have the B-sides, but still, it will be the last one. It's gonna be kinda sad, but also kinda happy because it's a happy song and all that, at least depending on your interpretation of the whole story. So anyway, so that's gonna be happening next week. So as always, if there's a favorite Kate Bush song you wanna talk about, or if you wanna send a message for me to read later on the show, you can email me kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with a D. E. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast, and also on Twitter at StrangeKateCast. You can also contact me through the website kbcast.linkmedia.com and your message can be read on a future episode. We also have a hotline. So 757-349-6886. You can call at any time and you can leave a brief message talking about your love of Kate Bush. And also if you just want to leave a couple of brief thoughts on a favorite song you can call the hotline so that's how you can contact me join us next time we're going to be wrapping up pounds of love the album before we go into a short break for the b-sides so join us next week for a discussion of the morning fog see everybody then